Yeah! I am so glad to be able to be a part of a church that has classical music in the lobby, TSO on stage, and has Jesus at the center of everything. Um, good, good stuff. Thank you to the band. Um, have you ever heard the, the phrase, dig in your own grave? Um, you, you know, it's all about uh, carrying a shovel around, taking some steps, and uh, dig in your own grave. Some people do that by um, not filing their taxes, right? Dig in your own grave. Um, some people go to the casino, play blackjack with their mortgage. That's digging your own grave, right? Um, this is one of the ones from earlier in my life. Continuing to drive when that little red warning light on your dashboard um, <laughs> says, stop, dummy, dig in your own grave. Um, so, some people dig their own grave by um, getting angry, going in and uh, reading the right act to their boss, right? That's why Chris isn't here today. Um, <laughs> I actually, saw, <laughs> I actually saw a cartoon of a guy that said, uh, how to dig your own grave. And it had a guy with a shovel and he's digging it. Step number one, open your mouth. Step number two, there is no step number two. <laughs> right? More times than not, we dig our own graves. We're in this series. We're in this series called Dig Dug. You saw it up there. It's, it's about finding ourselves in holes. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's been a great series. We've, we've got reminders for you about the series. As you leave today, if you didn't get one last week, we've got little ornaments for you to take home and put, the, put on your Christmas tree. Be, be sure and grab one of those. We've got a whole bunch of them. Um, to just remind you of this idea that we all find ourselves in holes and that Christmas is all about Jesus coming to dig us out of those holes. Uh, I, you know, the first week in the series, we talked about the reality that we all have holes, that we all have holes. And the, and the, and the critical question is whether or not we want to get out of those holes. Uh, Jesus saw this, this lame guy at the pool of Bethesda, and he said to him, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Uh, do you want to get out of the hole? Last week, we talked about, the, uh, about Jesus' interaction with a, blind, uh, with a blind man, a man who had been blind since birth, and the disciples said, who sinned? Is it that guy's fault, or is it his parents' fault? And Jesus said, it, it, it wasn't that his parents sinned. It wasn't that he sinned. He's, he's been blind since birth so that the glory of God could be revealed. And it may be that you find yourself in a hole when no one's to blame at all so that God can be glorified in an incredible way. Today, today's a little bit different kind uh, of a focus. The, um, um, today we're talking about a different kind of hole, the, it, and they're the holes that we dig ourselves, when we dig our own graves. You know, when I planned this message, I thought, how long can I stand with a shovel on my shoulder? <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe the whole message. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how we go. If you've got your Bibles, there's, a, there's an interaction that happens in Scripture in the biographies of Jesus um, that's really kind of an amazing one. It's the longest recorded conversation that Jesus had with one person in all four of the Gospels, in the biographies of Jesus. 
So out of all four of those books, the longest one-on-one conversation that Jesus had with anyone is the passage that we're taking a look at today. If you've got your app out, open it up. If you've got a Bible, turn to John chapter 4. If you want to take one out of the, the pew in front of you, that, that's great. We're going, to read, uh, we're going to read from about verse 4 down to about verse 30. Um, and this is that conversation that Jesus has with one person that it's the longest conversation in all the Gospels. Now he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You've got to understand the context of this. What Jesus did at this point in time was unthinkable. Jews and Samaritans didn't have any interaction with each other. The Samaritans were Jews who were technically half-breeds. Um, the, when the northern kingdom of Israel had gone into exile, when they had been captured and, and taken off into other countries, the Jews in that captivity began to intermarry with the people that were there. And so rather than remain pure where God had said, you know what, don't intermarry with other, with other nations, with other peoples. Stay true. You're, you're my people. Marry within the nation of Israel. The Samaritans, the forefathers of the Samaritans had said, no, we're not going to listen to that. We're not going to obey God. And so they had intermarried, and as a result of that, their, their um, relationship with God had really kind of been um, poisoned because of their disobedience. The Jews, who had remained true, um, they didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans at all. They wouldn't go through Samaria you know, the story that Jesus told about the good Samaritan, the, the, the guy who, after the religious leaders, wouldn't help this guy who was, got, who was beaten up and mugged. But this Samaritan man came and picked him up. The, the reason why that story is such a big deal is because of the animosity that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jesus says, I've got to go through. I've got to go through Samaria. He was called to go there. And then he sits down and talks to this woman, and he asks her for a drink. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus then places this hook in this conversation with this woman. He grabs her attention by talking about living water. You know that she had to be thinking, what is this living water that Jesus is talking about? Verse 15, the woman said to him, sir... Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water again. She recognized the thirst that existed in her. 
Jesus had something that she wanted, and she wanted to pursue that. She recognized her need, but her, the need that she recognized was only on the surface. Jesus was talking about something that, was, that, w- that could happen deep inside her, and she was thinking about her physical thirst. You know what? If Jesus gives me this living water, I won't have to come back to this well ever again. I'll have it all the time. I haven't talked about it yet, but understand that there's a reason that this woman comes uh, at noon to gather her water. In, in the Middle East, most people that don't have water, when do they get their water? Not in the hottest part of the day. It's either first thing in the morning or late at night. Um, there's a reason that we'll find out about in just a moment. She thought, you know what, if I, if I can get this living water, I won't have to keep coming back to this well and going through all the stuff that I'm going through. Verse 16, he, Jesus told her, now go, call your husband and come back. I don't have a husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband at all. What you've just said is quite true. Sir, the woman replied, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on the mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. You understand what, just ha- what, what happens? She tries to dodge what Jesus has called her to do, to divert his attention from this spotlight that is, that is exposing her sinfulness. She had dug her hole, Right? living a promiscuous life. And Jesus, a stranger, knew about it. He exposed that. He talked to her out in public. It's just the two of them. But Jesus brought up this fact that she was, that she was not living the kind of life that she needed to be living. She, Jesus knew what she didn't really want anybody to know. And it created a sense of shame for her. She did everything that she could to divert his attention from her and put it on something else. She said, oh, I can see you're a prophet. So you guys worship in Jerusalem. We worship on the mountain. What's the best thing to do? Quick, stop talking about my past sex life, right? That's really what she says. Verse 21, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, the Christ, is coming. When he comes... He'll explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I, the one who is speaking to you, am he. Jesus, in just a moment, begins to tell the truth for the first time in his ministry. For the first time, he declares, I am Messiah. I'm the one that that has been promised since the garden that would come and make everything right. And he tells that truth to a Samaritan woman. Do you understand the impact of that? It wasn't, it wasn't to the religious leaders. It wasn't in a church service. It was to a woman that had dug her own hole 
and was buried in that hole. Verse 27, just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town, and they made their way toward him. Such an interesting passage of Scripture to me. Such a powerful passage. When you think about where we all are in our life and the, and the, and the burdens that we carry, the garbage that we have put in our own life. Let me, let me give you three truths and then we're going to flesh out what do you do when you're in a self-dug hole. The first is this, um, recognize we all have self-dug holes. We're all in the exact same position as the, as the woman at the well. We have all created our own messes. Um, understand that the holes that we dig the graves that we dig for ourselves. Sometimes they're about sex. Sometimes they're about drugs. Sometimes they're about alcohol. But they may be about appearance or power. That you dig holes because you care, you care incredibly about what other people think about you. And you just keep digging that hole and burying yourself deeper. Sometimes it can be about your inability to be honest. You can't be honest with yourself. You can't be honest with others. And so you just start digging and dig, and dig that hole. Sometimes it's about isolation. We're too afraid to be transparent and vulnerable with people, and so we dig that hole, dig that hole, and just seal people off away from us. Sometimes the holes that we dig are just come from being busy. We, we, we just get busier and busier and busier, and the hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And it's not that anybody is making us do those things. We choose to do those things, and we dig those holes. Sometimes it's about achievement. We, we start digging this hole because we think, oh, man, I've got, to, I've got to get to that position. And so we dig, and we dig, and we do what it takes, and we dig more and more thinking that if we can just achieve that there will be some kind of meaning to our life. Some of, the, some of us dig holes because, because we make other people be dependent on us and us dependent on other people. The, the, the whole codependency thing. We dig a hole that just buries us alive. Some of us dig holes in, in, in frankly, in spiritual stuff. We do all the stuff and miss Jesus. We do all the right things. We fill our life with things that are all about spiritual things, but we don't have a relationship with Jesus that transforms us from the inside out. Sometimes we dig holes that, that, that are the result of intellect. We think, if I can just be, be smarter, if I can be the smartest guy in the room. And so you keep going to school. You keep going to school. You keep reading. You keep doing all this stuff to develop your mind. And, and in reality, you're digging your own grave. None of those things are necessarily bad, but they can become holes that we dig ourselves into. We all have self-dug holes. But you don't have to be buried in that hole. If there's one truth that you can walk away with today, hear this. You don't have to stay broken. 
If when you look at yourself this Christmas and you realize something's not right, you don't have to stay broken. I I hope that you're here today looking for change, looking for hope, looking for that overwhelming, never-ending love of God. Um, We don't have to be buried in a self-dug hole. Um, Do you know how many counselors it takes to change a light bulb? Just one, but it has to really want to change. Thank you. Thank you, Dustin. I appreciate that. Before the service, I told that joke and said to the, said to the tech guys, that's a laugh line. You're supposed to laugh. So uh, sympathy, laughter is okay. That, here's the whole deal. If you're in the hole, the question is, how, how much do you want to change? It really is back to that first message in this series. Jesus saying, do you want to get well? Are you comfortable or do you want to die in that hole that you're in? Here's the third truth, I think, from the story of the woman at the well. No hole is too big for Jesus. No hole is too big for Jesus. Jesus will do whatever it takes to dig you out of that hole. Understand that he broke all the rules in talking to this Samaritan woman. He broke the rules about talking, to, uh, talking, talking across gender lines. Jewish men didn't speak to women. Jewish People didn't speak to Samaritans. He broke the racial barrier that was there. He broke a class barrier. Jesus was a rabbi. This lady was an outcast. That's why she was there at noon. Um, he, he, broke, he broke a barrier that existed of generational hatred that was there. Jesus broke a barrier that was a positional power kind of barrier. Do you understand that Jesus, the rabbi, asked this woman for a drink? It's, it's why she responded the way that she did. Well, you're asking me for a drink? That's not what would happen. Jesus was willing to do whatever it would take. Jesus broke, the, uh, Jesus broke the awkward barrier, if that makes any sense. How many times do you have a conversation with someone that you just meet, and you say, oh, yeah, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. Do you understand how awkward that would be? Jesus was willing to speak truth. He was willing to do whatever it took. Um, Jesus called her out on her dishonesty when she said, I don't have a husband. Jesus called her out on that. Jesus called her out on her deflection when she tried to take the attention off of herself and ask this religious question. Jesus brought it right back to the truth. And Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus broke his reputation He broke a barrier of reputation with his disciples. The disciples come back after they get the food, and they don't ask the question, but because of the way that John records it, you know it's the question that's on their mind. What's Jesus doing talking to this Samaritan woman? What what does she want with him? This is not right. Jesus was willing to do whatever it took to come and rescue this woman. Sometimes when we find ourselves in a hole, a hole that we've dug ourselves um, we, th- we think, oh, I know, what th- I know what the Sunday school answer is. I know 1 John 1, 9 says, you know, 
if we, if we confess our sins, God's faithful and just will, will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. I know that that's what I need to do. And so you confess your sin and you think, okay, that, that's it and it, it's done. Sometimes we simplify it to that. Now, don't misunderstand me. That scripture is absolutely true. But sometimes that we think with just simply an admittance of our sin, everything gets changed. And, and very often it doesn't. Um, the patterns that we've established, the hole that we've dug is deep. It's long. We're buried in there. And, and we need help from Jesus to, to not just recognize our sin, but to get out of that hole. I want to I introduce a friend to you. Um, Dustin Curran, come on up. This is my friend Dustin. Um, you want to carry the show? No. Um, it's heavy. Everybody say, hey, Dustin. Hello. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. Um, 29 years old, youngest of four. Um, love sports. Uh, played collegiate football at Saginaw Valley. And I'm currently a personal trainer in Eaton Rapids. The critical question, are you a fan of Michigan State, University of Michigan, or Ohio State, the Ohio State University? I graduated from Michigan State with my master's. My dad did as well, and my sister. But sweethearts like you and my, and my, <laughs> my friend Austin, who's at, in Columbus right now working with their football team, still MSU, but my heart's... Ohio State's, Ohio State's going to win it this year, I think. All right. Uh, there we go. Um, where do you live, Dustin? Uh, I live in Charlotte. Turn your body that way so those people can see you, too. I live in Hi. Charlotte. <laughs> Charlotte, and you yep. come to North Point. How come? Because um, I came here in 2014 because of a girl, but I stayed because of the relationships that I built with the people here and just the love I felt of Jesus Christ in this, in this building. Cool. That's, that's, that's very cool. I appreciate that. The... Um, your faithfulness here has, has just been a really cool thing. Um, so why do I have you on stage? What do you know about digging your own hole? Well, you have that shovel. This is my collection over here of <laughs> shovels. No, in all seriousness, um, I've struggled with alcohol and drugs and sexual sin um, for a long time. And it's, it's really, I've dug some deep holes in my life. Um, losing relationships jobs, uh, and being in some serious, serious legal issues, um, my life as a free man being on the line and going to prison, potentially, um, isolating, depression, anger, pornography, um, yeah, all of those, those are the, those are the holes that I've dug in my life. Um, when, you, when you realized that you were in those holes, that you were digging them deeper and deeper, what'd you do? How'd you get out? Jesus got me out. Um, I came to a place in, in my life where, like I said, I, one day I had, I had done it. I had hit that rock bottom. I... Uh, Lost my job. The girl that I had, you know, had been planning on marrying and had been dating for four years decided that she couldn't do it anymore. Um, uh, I was facing serious legal issues. And 
I had to do a different, different, something different. Um, and Christ came and, and he pulled me out of that hole. I was either going to live or I was going to die. Um, I was at the place where I was five minutes away from taking my own life. And uh, he came in and uh, he rescued me. Um, t- talk just a second about the, the despair that you were in when you were on the bridge. It just seemed like I was such a mistake that there, were, there wasn't a purpose for me. There was nothing good in me. Um, that everyone that I loved, I had hurt. Every relationship I had damaged in some way through my addiction and compulsive behavior. And the only thought that I had was, you know, the world would be better without me. And that's where I was at. And then... Christ intervened, like I said, and the whole story started to change. Um, man, there's so much I want to ask you, so much I want you to die. Your story I, that I think is so powerful. But um, here's what I'd like to do. Um, Dustin's, Dustin's uh, real involved in Celebrate Recovery that meets here at Thursday nights, on Thursday nights at North Point. He, he comes in as, as a part of of CR. Um, we know when people go to CR to celebrate recovery, the first time that's a scary thing because you think everybody's going to know all about, um, all about my, my stuff. Um, and, if, and if I can just encourage you, if you're thinking about doing CR, let me come back to that first point and just say again, everybody, everybody digs their own holes. We're, we're all broken. And so uh, Dustin's doing CR. He's doing um, AA meetings yep, as well. Correct, yep. Um, how many meetings a week do you do? Uh, roughly five. If I can get to more, I'll get to more. And, and why, do you, why do you do them? I do it because it just it helps me continue to grow. I need that connection with other people. I need to be around other people who are, who are hurting or who understand kind of what I have been through and who are willing to be transparent and authentic and raw and you know, sometimes, especially around Thanksgiving or Christmas, when you have certain family members over, you can start to have some conversation, and they're like, what? Why don't you talk? Don't talk about that with me. And so just to be able to have people who you can share with and talk to and be open to and who aren't going to judge you and just love you right where you're at. Is it, is it fair to say that without, without the meetings, without that continual sense of accountability and vulnerability and authenticity, that you just keep digging the holes. Yeah, they have a saying in, in AA that meeting makers make it. And Say so that again. Meeting makers make it. So if I'm not connected, if I'm not going to meetings, if I'm not sharing, if I'm not continuing to grow and hear things that are lifting up my spirit, then yeah, I'm going to just grab a shovel. That's, yeah. it, it's, it's what Dustin just said is why it's so important so important to be involved in Celebrate Recovery, so important to be involved in a life group, so important to be involved in some kind of accountability relationship because when we try and live on our own, that hole just gets deeper and deeper. I asked Dustin, if he would, to just kind of take uh, the, the, talk us through the, the steps, the 12 steps that are a part of, of CR, a part of AA. Um, you may know them. This may be old hat to you, but I think for a lot of people who have never done meetings, um, these concepts um, come from Scripture. 
they come right out of Scripture. They were, the AA 12 Steps were birthed by two followers of Jesus that said, we've got to help people. Or we've got to help people deal with their addiction. And so uh, if you would, just, just kind of yeah, run absolutely. through those. So for me, step one was one of the hardest ones, right? Because I have to admit that I'm powerless and my life has become unmanageable. Now, being an alcoholic, I did some pretty cool stuff. I got a master's degree. I worked in the NFL. I went and worked in collegiate football. It was hard for me with my ego and my pride to admit that I had a problem, that I wasn't in control of my life. And that's one of the hardest things that I had to do. But my sponsor told me one time, he's like, once you've experienced enough pain, you'll, you'll become willing. And uh, that's the first step uh, is just the willingness to admit that. And once you do, the whole thing starts to roll. And then step two, uh, for me, I have to recognize that it's going to take something greater than myself to restore me to sanity. So for me, that was Christ, but it was also the group, celebrate recovery, the relationships, because Jesus worked through those people. I mean, they were vessels as far as how he would speak through them and what he would do with that. So I had to, to give it over to something greater than, than me. And then step three, I have to turn uh, my will and my life over to the care of God. Um, Surrender, release. It was my control, my will, me driving the bus that got me into those holes. Um, So I had to let that go and give that to God. This is where it gets a little scary for me. Uh, I had to make a searching and fearless moral inventory of myself. It's not just, you know, something you just kind of glance at. It's a real digging deep of all those hurts that go back from, you know, my youth being, you know, sexually abused, things of that nature, viewing pornography when I was, you know, 10 years old, all those things that started at such a young age that led to where I was. I can't leave anything out. I have to go all the way back from the beginning and talk about those things with other people. Is that painful? Yeah, it's, it's painful, especially at first. It's so you're so scared and you think, man, these people are going to hear about me. And if they hear about me, if you really knew me, you'd run the other way. And you wouldn't want to be around me. And that's not true. And once you continue to do it and you see people's response and you start sharing out of strength instead of out of weakness, that's the biggest thing. I'm sharing up here because of Christ and his strength. And this is my weakness, but I'm, when I was, the first time I would share that, it was a little... It was hard, and, it, and you, feel, you feel like a mistake. But once you continue to share and share and share, you realize, you know, these things don't define me. I've made mistakes, but I'm not a mistake. And now I'm up here, so look at that. <laughs> so once you do that inventory, then you have to admit that uh, to God, to yourself, and to someone that you trust. Um, the someone that you trust part, I tried to do the whole thing, but just like, me and God got this. We got this. I know. He knows. Why do I got to tell somebody else? It's important. It is. It's huge. Once you let that out and you let someone into your life and you let them know, you take the mask off and you just, it's very powerful. Good. Um, step six, was entirely ready to have God remove all my defects of character entirely ready. Now, again, those will be revealed to you as you go. Um, Alcohol, 
sex, pornography, drugs were the big hitters for me. But even this, this season um, in football, I'm a big NFL fan. Love the Denver Broncos. Well, that was an idol in my life, and I had to let that go. And even that was a defect of character. Simple things like that of being entirely ready to let those things go. Is, is, that, why, is that why so many meetings are so important? Because that's a continual process of letting yeah. go. Yeah, it never stops. There's no graduation. There's no end point. You're continuing to grow and just... Those defects of character, they're going to rise up all the time. They're going to try and creep back in. They're, they're so natural. We've lived with them our whole lives. They're, they're very hard to get rid of. Um, you'll never get rid of them, really. You're just going to manage them and, and continue to manage them by going to meetings, by being open, by sharing. Well, that's how you do it. Keep blasting. Uh, number seven, humbly ask God to remove my shortcomings. So you've, you're entirely ready once you get to that stage. And then you just ask Christ. You ask him to remove those things from your life. Uh, number eight. I uh, made a list of people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. The collateral damage from my past, the shock wave of people that were hurt by the things that I did, my selfishness, my self-centeredness. There was a list of people and I wanted to live a different life. I wanted to be a different person. Christ was transforming me. He was renewing me. And part of that was going and admitting and making that list of pe if people I had harmed and became willing to make amends to them. And then step nine is when we made direct amends to those people, when I did that, when doing so wouldn't injure them or others. That's just something that I've had to talk about with my sponsors, with, with uh, accountability partners, people that I trust. Sometimes it does more harm than good to go and make those amends. Um, sometimes the people that you need to make amends, they're not living anymore, or you can't get a hold of them. But there's still different ways to come to terms and be at peace with that, and that's what I had to do. Uh, number 10, I have to continue to take personal inventory, and when I'm wrong, promptly admit it. It's an ongoing process. You know? On a daily basis, I sin. On a daily basis, um, something will irritate me or my character defect will arise. And I have to make sure that I'm cleaning house and, and every night, you know, going through, could I have done something different? And, and if I could have, then I go back and I admit that I'm wrong and make that amends as soon as I can. Number 11, I have to seek through prayer and meditation to improve my contact with God, um, you know, I think it was just over a year ago we did a uh, sprint through the Bible in 90 days, and that's when I really made a dedication to spending time in the Word, spending time with the Lord, and how much of a priority that is in my life. I mean, I can tell when I wake up in the morning, every morning I hit my knees, but if I'm not filling myself with Christ and, and improving our contact with each other, um, I can definitely feel off, and I start to go back to, to me, digging the holes or driving the bus. And step 12, recognizing God's tra transformation and the power and what he's done in my life, I just continue to, to practice these principles and to share this message with other people. Um, there's no testimony without a test and no message without a mess. So... God's not going to waste the hurt. He's going to catch every tear. And look what he's using it with me right now. I mean, 
A year ago, I never thought I would want to be up here sharing this kind of stuff, telling you about this, but this year, is Christ. A year ago, Dustin was sitting in the audience and was a wreck. Yeah. A wreck. Um, you got it all figured out now? <laughs> uh, I'd like to say so, but we both know that's not true. Um, I still, I still fall. I've had, I've had relapses. I've had slips, whatever you want to call them. And the biggest thing for me is Christ is still right there every single time with his arms wide open. And it becomes a little bit easier to turn right back around and be like, yeah, you know, the people that you have in your life, being able to be honest and open. And once you start to practice that, it starts to become second nature. Um, But I still struggle. I'll always struggle. And that's okay. I struggle well because I have Jesus. Um, Let's pray for Dustin. Yeah, go ahead, clap. Um, Let's let's pray. Um, God, I I thank you for Dustin for for his testimony, for his authenticity for his desire for you. And, and Lord, um, I ask that you would use the things that he shared today to draw people to you to help, help all of us recognize the holes that we're in and the steps that we need to take to get out. God, I ask for um, your protection of Dustin, knowing that um, in a greater way, because of this morning, Satan has target on him. Um, and, the, and Lord, I just ask that you'd protect him. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Yeah. Um, Give it up one more time for Dustin. (laughs) Let me me try and land the ship with with two scriptures that I think are so critical. Um, Again, don't miss miss the three things that I think are, that, that are there in the story of the woman of the well. It's the story of Dustin. We're all broken. We are all broken, but none of us are so broken that God can't redeem us. And Jesus is willing to do whatever it takes to get us out of that hole. Um, Paul wrote this to the church in Rome that I, that I think it's so appropriate. It, uh, my guess is, my guess is that you're um, you're in one or two places right now. You're just kind of avoiding the honesty thing that you're sitting out there thinking, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. Or you're sitting out there and thinking, man, my hole is so deep, what do I do? Um, Hear what Paul wrote. I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. In my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the, the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I I myself in my mind am am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature I'm a slave to the law of sin. Just a little bit before that, Paul had written this. You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, while we were still deep in that hole that we've dug, Christ 
died for the ungodly. Um, the, if, you've, if you've got the North Point app, the 12 steps are in the app notes from the message this morning. I'd encourage you to take them home this week and, and just kind of look at them, go through them, be ruthless in terms of the inventory you do in your life, and allow God to do his work to change you. Um, we, we don't know from history what happened to the woman at the well. There, there, are, there is no historical uh, record of what happened. But it's really kind of interesting. Uh, as I was studying through a passage of Scripture, I talked to Deb and I said, um, how did this story, how did this account get in the Bible? How did John know this story? Because it just happened between Jesus and the woman at the well, right? Think about that for a second. Probably not likely that Jesus said, oh, yeah, this is what I said, this is what she said, this is what I said, this is what... Probably not that at all. The Greek Orthodox Church has an tr- oral tradition that the, that the woman at the well was a woman named Fotini that ultimately um, became a follower of Jesus and was baptized on the day of Pentecost, ultimately became a missionary to North Africa and, and was known in the first centuries as one of the missionaries alongside Peter and Paul that her influence was huge because she had found redemption through Jesus. That's the story. You know, if you're in a hole that you've dug yourself, Jesus came, Christmas, Jesus came to dig you out. I want to I give you an opportunity this morning to just deal with God, to, to talk to him to deal with the stuff, the holes that you've dug. We're going to sing. I want to invite you, if you want, to to sit or kneel where you are if you want to come down front and pray. Um, You can do that. Uh, We're going to sing, and we're going to ask God to do in us what he's done in the woman as well, what he's done in Dustin, what he's done in so many of our lives, and to just repeat that. Let's stand together. Let's sing.